0: Hello, I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest's Pandemic Practices Podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Our guest today is Angela Sayes of Capital Bank. We talked about the importance of an agent's escrow banking relationship, how the market's needs suddenly shifted when many escrow staff members went home to work during COVID, We talk about some aspects of banking relationships to consider beyond how we might normally think of them, and the importance of being able to nimbly pivot while keeping processes secure when the unexpected happens. In the settlement space, you know, we're such a target for fraud. Given the sums of money we move each day, the pace at which we must conduct business, and the multiple points in the communication chain where a fraudster can insert themselves, Whether in a pandemic or not, busy times for us also create some of our most vulnerable instances, and then reduced face-to-face interaction only heightens the risk. So it's a good opportunity to rethink some of our daily practices to see if there might be a better way. So to cover the escrow banking perspective of our pandemic practices, we called on Angela Sayas, who is the Vice President of Fiduciary Banking with Capital Bank. Angela has used her extensive experience in the nuanced differences of state-specific needs relating to title and escrow to focus on the land and title services industry for the last nine years. As a longtime member of ALTA, she currently volunteers on the membership and organization committee, where she's been able to build meaningful connection and help with her clients' day-to-day business needs. Before Capital Bank, Angela worked with Require Release Tracking for six years. She currently lives in Rockville, Maryland, and in her spare time, she also owns two restaurants. Please enjoy my Pandemic Practices conversation with Angela. Hello, Angela, and welcome to Pandemic Practices. Has there been something positive for you that has happened or that you've realized during the pandemic silliness?
1: I think there's been a lot of things for me personally. I had always said that, you know, especially being a community bank and a lot of my clients are outside of, you know, what I would call the DMV as far as Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. And I always told them that, you know, you can kind of bank anywhere, anytime with with Capital Bank. And while we don't have branches in all 50 states, it really never mattered. Um, Because I used to always just say that even if there was a snowstorm, You know, our wire room is set up to work remotely, so you don't have to worry whether or not your wires go out. And for me, it was the aha, you know, this is something we've always relied on, which is technology. And we've been able to to utilize that. Um, So I think for me, being able to just get that kind of the proof is in the pudding and that they didn't have a delay or a disruption in how they did business um, if they were already our clients, which was, was nice.
0: That's really nice, so you were able to see that investment for some eventuality that you knew was going to happen, but maybe the market yet didn't have an opportunity to realize what the importance of that was. and so you guys did not have to scramble then to try to figure out how to have your employees remote but also still service your your clients
1: exactly we were we were ironically very, very ready for it.
0: That's great. Good for you. Well, how have you seen the the needs of the customers for banking and escrow shift as a part of, of their pandemic work practices?
1: So I've seen a lot of shift in that a lot of our clients traditionally did not work from home. A lot of them might have one remote employee, maybe two, because they had a great employee that move somewhere and they wanted to retain that that talent that they had. We've always had a mobile app as well, but most of our clients didn't utilize it. So we were able to transition to that, you know, setting up a lot more of our users on the mobile banking deposits as well as this check scanner so that people weren't actually going into the office. So that's one, one difference. Uh, I think for us also, we added DocuSign. Uh, it was something as a bank we talked about for a long time. And, you know, primarily those of us on the title team, we saw, you know, so many of our clients utilizing DocuSign. We wanted this option a long time ago. And so it kind of pushed the bank to make that decision. It became more readily available, uh, which was nice. So that if they need to change a sign or add someone, we were able to do so very you know, easily and just by utilizing that technology. You know, we had, I had one, what I would say, uh-oh moment. Um, we had a client make a payoff back in April. And three weeks later, they were receiving calls from their borrower that, Their original bank was still contacting them, asking for the mortgage payment. It was a refi and they had accidentally paid off the wrong. Oh
0: no. Oops. So what happened?
1: Uh, We sent a a hold harm, reached out to them daily, and we were able to get those funds back for them. It was almost $300,000. Oh, that's great. I think having a personal relationship with a banker and an entire team that really understands title and escrow makes a difference in uh, that we understand what their business is and how many wires are going out. I don't think that that same situation would have taken that that long to uncover what happened had they been working in the office. You know, I think a lot of fraudsters right now are really taking advantage of so many people working remotely and so it's a matter of just staying on top of it and being very diligent and uh, utilizing all of those resources that are out there to title and escrow companies to prevent fraud.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I've started to really hear more and more over the, I would say, last two or three years, a desire to have their escrow bank and their treasury relationships with someone who really does understand the unique needs of those businesses, including a very accessible wire department that understands, you know, you're probably going to have some late and possibly large wires that need to go and they in those circumstances can't always sit in a queue and maybe miss the cutoff and those sorts of things so I'm I'm so professionally in love with folks like you who are able to really tailor and nuance your services to those title companies are you seeing more title companies really want to start to take advantage of a relationship like that or are they still not quite understanding the difference that a, a bank Tune to them can make. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I think there's an interesting dichotomy because title companies traditionally want to do bank with a business that sends them business. And, and I understand that aspect. Um, I think throughout what's happening now, that they're recognizing that whoever that, that lender is that might send them some refis, uh, they're realizing that those relationships didn't really pay off as much as they would have liked them to during, uh, this Just like stepping outside of that, when you think about the PPP money as well, uh, there were so many banks that really struggled, especially the big ones, in getting that money to their customers. I do want to say that, you know, that was one thing that we did as a small community bank, I thought very well, and I was very proud to know that we took care of over 1,200 uh, PPP applicants for like $236 million dollars. Uh, which is is more than what we lend in a year, Mary. I think they're realizing now that they do need that relationship. You know, I always say that you need somebody that you can call, someone that is going to answer the phone, uh, somebody that realizes that you've got to get this wire out and it's five twenty five, and the wire cut off is five thirty, and to make sure it happens. Um, you mentioned one thing earlier in that I think it's important for title and for companies to really understand how wires are sent by their bank, whoever they bank with, you know, do they batch those wires? A lot of banks will hold them and send them out in batches. Uh, and that's where things happen when they get in those queues and then they end up not going when they need that's to. That's right. Uh, so it's just, I think some of it is even understanding the questions to ask.
0: Oh, that's a very good point. Yes, yes. I don't think there is a high degree of awareness about things like that. Are there other things that kind of fall in that same category of asking important process questions?
1: Another example is really kind of understanding that how the Fed works. You know, July 4th fell on a Saturday this year, and a lot of title companies took off July 3rd, that Friday. The Fed did not close. And so things, something as simple as your positive pay exceptions. You know, I had a client who had a positive pay exception come through, and we you know we have a one p.m. decision time, and we kind of customize everything, so it's not everybody's in one bucket um, as far as how they how they manage their operations. So this particular client was a return all, and so if the decision wasn't made by one p.m., it gets returned automatically. The office was closed. Having somebody like myself or any concierge, personalized banker, I think is very important. I was able to call. You know, three different people's cell phones get a hold of them and say, Hey, you know, you've got a $291,000 payoff going to a trust that I don't think you want returned. And so those are the little things that I think come with having someone who understands.
0: It's a little thing in the doing, but. Oh, my gosh, from a process standpoint, something like that is just huge. And especially reputationally, you know, one you can maybe talk through and the market might not get too concerned. But if you have two or three of those, even though you know the facts as an agent of what happened and why the market might not understand that. And it could look like something other than what it actually is. Right.
1: Those are the little nuances that I think it's, it's very important for title companies who's handling those escrow funds, you know, really have that personalized relationship where, you know, we have each other's information. You're not talking to an 800 number calling in to find out, did this wire go out? Did that happen? You know, who do you talk to?
0: Coming back to, you know, you mentioned sort of reevaluating the relationship portion of your escrow banking. So yes, I need to have a relationship with my escrow bank has traditionally meant there's a mutual business exchange. They're sending business in, they've got my trust accounts. But I think reframing that, re-examining that, especially during, you know, a pandemic, which has changed a lot of the ways we need to do business, but to relook at that equation and say, all right, what else can relationship mean? Can relationship and should relationship mean something like that? While business incoming is very tangible, the sorts of things that you're talking about are more intangible, but they matter so much. There are
1: so many great banks out there. I mean, I know I've met some others in our industry that work for other banks that I really enjoy their their friendship. And I think as long as you find somebody who really understands what you're doing and what your vision is and what you're trying to achieve, that it works out. What I always say to my clients, here's what we can do for you. We can make sure that your money is safe. We can make sure that it's customized based on your needs and not putting a square peg into a a round hole um, in terms of your banking solution. We don't tell people how they need to bank with us. We talk through their operations and their process, and then we come up with the best solution for them. And that's what it is. It's a customized solution. Any title companies in this industry should really make sure that they are customizing based on their needs.
0: So let's talk a little bit about you had some processes already in place that that fit perfectly with the needs of your customers during pandemic. You already had a remote deposit, not just a scanner, but via an image that was already in place. And so there wasn't a big hurry to get that set up. And you already had your wire department able to work remotely. I think you put in some digital signature for documents that you hadn't had previously. And I think you're using DocuSign as your vendor for that. Can you talk a little bit about how, quickly or not quickly or how easy or cumbersome that was to ramp that up for your customers as well and how it's been received? Because we had been
1: talking about it for quite a while, we brought DocuSign on board mid-March and with any new accounts opening beginning in April, we able to go through this electronic signature process. As a bank, we're, you're always very secure with your emails. As it is, I mean, even just for this podcast, I'm on a personal computer because there, it just doesn't operate on on bank computers. We're already very encrypted and very secure. What the DocuSign added was that ease of signature when people are working and you know signing a signature card has to have multiple people sign the signature cards, and being able to do that where they're sitting and doing it remotely created a, a much easier process, one that you know I'm very excited about and was very excited to bring on board to begin with, but getting it going was was actually very, very easy. One of the things that I think is nice in, as far as our industry and all of the resources that are available, you're able to really do quite a bit of due diligence on a title company without having to physically lay eyes on that business, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, that's a very good point. So you're able to do some of your pre-vetting without the customer or prospective customer being entirely engaged. That saves them time. So by the time you're engaged with them, you're down to sort of the most important part of of getting the relationship. Well, that's great. So for those customers of yours that do use a multi-step authorization practice, say for their outgoing wires, have you had some that, that needed to do a quick tool change once the pandemic hit? Uh, some did.
1: You know, with our two-factor encryption, we used a hard token. It's just that traditional key fob that you push in order to get your, your number to go ahead and put in to authenticate that it is in fact you sending that. We were transitioning prior to the pandemic to soft tokens. And soft tokens are where you get that same encryption on any device, whether it's your your cell phone, your iPad, whatever that might be. And so a lot of our clients went ahead and kind of transitioned away from the the hard token. A lot of people would just leave it in their office and then they would realize they're at home. Their key fob wasn't with them. And so we were able to transition them over to the the soft tokens where they can actually get that kind of wherever they are at the time. So that was one of the changes we did make.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Think back to the beginning of the pandemic and kind of across time until now. Was there ever any disruption in the wire flow incoming or with the Fed, or did that not miss a beat? How'd you guys experience that? No,
1: no disruptions, um, so to speak of, uh, you know, the end of the month is so critical. And I think I always hold my breath. There was an example pre-pandemic that a lot of clients didn't even know, but on April 1st of actually 2019, the Fed went down. And it went down around 3.30 p.m. We called our clients and said, hey, this wire is, is not it's not gone. The Fed is down. We hope they send it out. But, you know, that's kind of going back to the personalized service. And the Fed ended up staying open late that day and getting everything out. But we didn't know. We'd never seen that before. I think that they did a great job throughout all of this. Uh, I think the, our wire room is incredibly efficient.
0: Yeah. Well, sort of a key trend that has emerged through the podcast and these conversations is that the pandemic certainly put a spotlight on inefficiencies, but also on things that were on the wish list of items to accomplish then became a necessity either because of remote or just because of the volumes that that the industry is also trying to service with the added stress and disruption of COVID on top. So are there some changes to best practices for title companies that that you see, or at least some things that have come more to fore of important that might have been on someone else's later to-do list?
1: A lot of times, especially some of our smaller title companies, there's one person who does wires, and there might be one person who does the reconciliation. And they're realizing that there needs to be a need for some cross-training as well as back up in the event that, what if somebody actually does in fact get sick? It's pushed a lot of title companies that they wanted to to make some differences or they wanted to open new relationships in terms of new accounts with another bank. Reconciling two sets of accounts isn't, isn't always easy. And so there had to be a reason for them to do so. And I think that this has kind of created that as well as I see a lot of title companies right now going into new markets. You know a lot of them are realizing hey this this other title company is larger and they do a much better job i really just want to focus on taking care of my clients and let me let them do all the back office stuff um because i just don't have that those processes in place and i really don't want to i don't want to take the time to develop those so i've seen a lot of acquisitions in terms of larger title companies that are kind of handling the back office settlement agent or the owner or the attorney stays on and they get to do what they enjoy doing.
0: Right. Um, we're hearing a lot about folks who, through the pandemic, they've gotten a very new and specific view and mindset about what's actually truly important versus what's sort of been maybe more prominent in the past that sort of has faded to an ancillary position. We've heard that from our guests on a personal standpoint they say, you know, my day has been clarified down to certain important things and all the rest of it was not noise, but just not capital I important either. And we're hearing the same thing about those processes. So I'll ask you this, have you experienced that either personally or professionally? And then as whenever we start to move out of this, when, (laughs) whenever that might be, what do you think will remain? And what do you think will go away as we sort of take all of this wisdom from right now, if you can call it that, let's call it clarity and move on into whatever a new normal might look like. What what do you think is going to stay and what do you think is going to get left behind?
1: What's going to stay are the efficiencies. I I think that realizing and recognizing that a a lot of title companies, they put off what they want to do. They wanted to do things and they haven't either had the time or the inkling or whatever resources they needed to get those things done. And I see a lot of them kind of doing things that they haven't in the past uh, and moving towards that. I think that they're recognizing what is important in terms of their families. And I think they realize that they are so essential. And I, I feel so blessed to be in an industry that it's quite frankly thriving right now. They're busy. Our, our title company, they're so busy right now. So busy. And they are, you know, rising to that occasion.
0: Isn't it remarkable? Aren't you just so amazed that once again when put under the tightest of pressure points they just pivot and rise and thrive and and they're so tired? I am. Yeah. But they once again, you know, the market needs them and they're and they're right there. The the resilience and the resolve and the creativity that they bring to these problems when they come up is I'm with you. I just stand back in amazement and say, that's right. Right.
1: And I don't think that people
0: really truly
1: understand. I don't think even the lenders understand. I don't think the realtors understand what title companies do. I know that for me personally, throughout this, I have sold two homes, bought another one. One of my settlements was out of state and I actually flew in for the settlement in the parking lot you know what they're doing for people is absolutely amazing. Um, I think that the industry as a whole that has, like you said, I, I how do they do it? They get so much done all day, every day, and yet they're they're pivoting. And what can we do different? How can we be more efficient? Uh, at the end of the day, they're taking care of so so many people. Oh yes, and absolutely. Seeking, quite frankly, our economy. Going. Oh, that's
0: right. Well, and that isn't hasn't that been interesting about the, the housing market? Because you know, we thought, oh, there's a, a pandemic, people are gonna be worried about their jobs, people are gonna be hunkered down. The market that we were, you know, experiencing first quarter of last year can't sustain. How are lenders going to get VOEs and how are appraisers gonna be able to appraise? And we're gonna run out the pipeline, and in about 30 days, this is all gonna go quiet. But People like you who said, We have a life change going on. And I don't know how surprised you've been by that continued strength in the market.
1: I feel blessed. I do. I actually worked on the PPP loans. I mean, I'm a deposit banker, but I couldn't, in good conscience, have anyone that I either knew personally or that contacted me not get their loan. You know, especially during that first round, when we did not know, Mary, we didn't know, like you said, we thought the pipeline was going to dry up and, you know, what were the people that I'd known for nearly 10 years going to do. It made me want to learn as much about that process and while I'm not a lender. Um, I did learn the e system through the SBA and I would work from midnight till about four or 5 a.m. entering the packets.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let's talk about those PPP loans for a little bit. What were some of the experiences that those businesses were having that you were helping through that?
1: I think a lot of people thought their original, whoever they banked with was going to get it done for them. And we saw that the, the large banks did not do a, a great job with that. Whereas the small banks did. I know in fact, Marco Rubio tweeted about Capital Bank as a small bank because we we did it right in terms of taking care of everyone, not saying, hey, you're not our client, you have to be a client in order for us to take care of you. I had a friend call me that from day one was trying to, and I won't name, it was a large bank, was trying to get her loan through them, and she's a podiatrist, you know, and she wasn't able to see patients because it wasn't really truly essential at the time during that first, you know, five, six months. And so we were able to help her. And it was, you know, a lot of long nights, but it was worth it. I'm not a lender. <laughs> and let's be honest, I'm a title person. I always tell people I am, I'm a title person first. And, and then I'm a banker. Fortunately, I have this amazing team of people who are, you know, 20, 30 year banking careers that operationally really understand everything that we do. But for me, I, I'm, I'm title. I'm title first. That
0: means you're solutions minded. And that's just another example of how when you define relationship, you have to give it a 360 definition because something like that is not something that an agent might think of first pass when looking about where to place their escrow accounts and who to have those relationships with. But you know, the fact that you were able to be so nimble and pivot and help sort of outside your normal core piece, but to help their businesses in that way as well. You know, big banks are wonderful and they do a great job. And also during difficult times, a big ship, it takes longer to turn, right? Whereas a smaller ship is able to move more quickly and no size is a one size fits all. But when you start to in a time of pandemic or, you know, any other major event, your definition of what is important, can be broadened out significantly, but also very quickly. You
1: hit the nail on the head when you said nimble, and that's something that we always say um, it, that we are very nimble. Another example, a lot of the the earnest money deposits, EMDs, we're seeing a lot of changes with those where people are, title companies are bringing on board, whether it's Zocom or Earnest or Bangshot to kind of handle those EMDs. And we were one of the first banks to have integrations with all of those. Uh, And because we saw the value and realized that that's important to our clients. And so we are really nimble in the sense that if one of our clients comes to us and says, hey, we really need this, this or this, we're going to look into it and try to find a solution and make it happen for them. Uh, I don't know that um, a lot of the larger banks would really care about client A, B, or C uh, that, that needs something done, whether it's, you know, on the reconciliation side or on EMD side, but, you know, we're really good about listening to that and kind of working through that, those processes for, with them.
0: But you know, you brought up reconciliations of the accounts, has that process or access or any of that changed during the pandemic for your customers, or is that pretty well going the same?
1: For the most part, it's the same. Uh, I know that some have added uh, third party reconciliation companies just because of they're, they're realizing that they don't have the time uh, to kind of stay on top of it as much as they would like to. And, you know, it's, we all know that they have to, you know, they need to reconcile at least monthly, but it's a much better practice to do a daily reconciliation. Um, and, you know, even something like managing positive pay, if there is that kind of integration and somebody else is doing that and checking to make sure it's just another set of eyes uh, that is alleviating that kind of risk. You know, you want to mitigate the risk as much as you can and do it efficiently. And so I, I do see some that have added reconciliation services through third party vendors.
0: I would imagine that the smaller companies that's someone's also and job. And if you could, get part of that carved off, either happening with automation or a third party, then that person who was doing it in-house can shift their time moreover, into revenue production.
1: Right. It's that balance. So, you know, it's what revenue generating activities are you doing each day versus what are you doing just to kind of maintain? And and I always say, what, what's most favorable? What do you enjoy doing most? Do you enjoy the marketing aspect or do you enjoy the dotting I's and crossing T's? Everyone's different, you know. What's your most favorable? What's your most enjoyable? And task. How can we make this easy for you?
0: Are there other points that title and settlement companies should be thinking of in evaluating treasury management and wires and their banking relationships?
1: We we haven't really touched on fees. We know that there there are a lot of fees involved in banking, and right now, especially with interest rates as low as they are, I'm seeing a lot of banks that might have offered. No fees or lower fees are kind of changing that. They're realizing that they're going to start charging fees. We are a no fee bank. And so people will sometimes say, what do you, what do you mean?
0: Okay. What do you mean?
1: <laughs> no fees. And that's the thing is we don't charge any fees. There's no incoming or outgoing wire fees, no monthly maintenance fees, no you know positive pay fees. We want them to be able to have the entire suite of services. Utilizing positive pay is mitigating risk not only for them, but for the bank as well. And so we don't want to charge for something that really is kind of minimizing our risk. We want them to utilize it and and take advantage of, of all of these fraud prevention tools that are out there. I think that in terms of having those conversations with your bank, what are they doing if they're charging you fees? Are they really making great decisions for you? Are they there for you? Are they answering the phone call? Do you have a dedicated support team? I think that that's also important. Title companies have multiple, multiple employees. And while one may have a relationship with the banker, someone else may not know who to call. And so I think it's about streamlining that and trying to make it very easy. We have one email address, at capitalbankmd.com. It's one simple email, that goes to the entire team. And so you don't have to think about who do I call? What do I do?
0: Every employee at the title company doesn't have to have a call sheet <laughs> that they then have to, by the way, if they have to go home and work or doing a remote closing, they have to take with them to say, okay, in the unlikely event that I have a problem, you know, number eight on the phone tree handles these five things. Right.
1: And then, well, then you get into those queues and you're like on hold. Oh yeah.
0: In the meanwhile, they're in your lobby or You're in their car or whatever it is.
1: Right. And and the thing, you know, it's all comes back to service and the relationship. Bottom line, I I don't know how else think that that's the most important aspect of it. And us being able to do what we say we're going to do in any way.
0: Your definition of service is interesting because you're describing more than we're friendly, we're easy, we like you, but you're... Discussing an entire philosophy of, for example, around the fees. The reason we don't charge fees all a la carte for services is because we think the entire services bundled together when utilized reduce your customers' risk and reduce risk to the bank. So everybody wins. So it's it sounds like a very much a we all have skin in each other's games mindset and outlook.
1: Right. Absolutely. I even joined the bank. A little over two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And I didn't have any banking experience. And I, I they approached me and I said, what do you know? Uh,
0: I'm not a banker. <laughs>
1: exactly. I say it now. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds to somebody to say, what do you do? And I'm like,
0: Oh, I work at a bank, but I'm not a banker. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: for me, it was once I met with the executive team and really, Oh, this is really what you want to do. And, you know, it's a great team. The relationship has to go both ways. And just by being friendly and having a good time, there has to be some true value to that. And I always think that it, at the end of the day, I'm only as good as like, the team behind me. And we do work very, very closely together. And I have to say that being able to call my COO on the cell phone makes a difference to me being able to call the bank president, uh, being able to call my CEO if I need to. And these people know our, they know our clients. I mean, they really do. And, and it, it amazes me, uh, you know, that they take a, a vested interest. And I think that that's that personalization that that is important.
0: And also, I think understanding not only the industry and its operations and its unique needs, but also Understanding what a target these escrow accounts are, what a target moving money in and out of them is—it's a—it's a a unique set of circumstances that certainly pre-pandemic was already a a trend, and then in the pandemic became uh, much more intense. Having that specialty and understanding the special needs surrounding escrow funds uh, is is a big deal.
1: Absolutely. We talk about wire fraud and we hear the stories and it's just, it's so disheartening. Buying a, purchasing a home for so many, it doesn't happen that often and they don't really understand it. And it's in the emails, do not, you know, we'll never change our wiring instructions And, and yet things happen. And it's really hard when you hear the stories. And I think as an industry, we're really working towards making those changes, but the volume that we, we do on a daily basis is, is crazy to me, uh, and it's going up in volume of wires each day. We, as a bank, we put in um, a lot of efficiencies. Uh, we focus on the technology aspect of it. The one that we were able to get back, the title company had already covered that personally, trying to submit to their, their E&O. But at the end of the day, they, they really never expected for us to get that money back.
0: That's amazing that you guys kept working that because you didn't have to, right?
1: No, no. I mean, it wasn't our mistake. It wasn't, uh, you know, the bank didn't do anything wrong, but
0: it was on principle, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) Right. It is. That's part of it, too. You're right. It's the it's like how don't do these things to people. You know, it's not
0: not your money. We're going to come get it back if there's any way we can.
1: And so that was uh, that was a good feeling. That phone call that day was
0: that was a lot of fun. I, I I'll bet your agent was really happy. Very
1: happy. I think, you know, part of this industry is those relationships. And and I I love watching people develop their business. I I have one client that, you know, started out in January of 2019 and small agent. And he's just doing really well. And I just love it. And he's growing and growing and multiple offices now. And it's just a great feeling. I mean, you, you probably have a million of those. But when you ask him, he'll tell you his most important relationship is his banking relationship. And it's nice. It's really
0: it's nice to be a part of that, isn't
1: it? It is. Yeah.
0: Well, do you have any advice for title and settlement agents as we're wherever we are on this pandemic timeline, just either for today or tomorrow?
1: It's been said so many times, but we're all going to get through this. It's It's been hard, you know, it, but I've also seen the good that's come out of it. I have to say I'm actually getting on an airplane tomorrow and doing an install uh, down in in Charleston, South Carolina, and meeting up with a couple of people socially distanced. I'm excited just to see them, whether it's six feet away or not. Zoom has been great.
0: It fills a gap, but... but- we need to see. We are we are such a family that we need to see each other. And I think we might have one giant Mardi Gras when we're all free to move about the planet again.
1: If you had told me that I would go nearly a year without seeing some of my closest friends, never would have believed it. Fingers crossed. I think our market this year is going to continue to be very strong. I, I see it going through all of 2021 that we just need to just keep doing what we're doing and move on, you know, and hope for the best and I think we're going to get through
0: it. I hope you found my conversation with Angela interesting and that you found some takeaways to help you continue to chart your path through our new market realities. If you'd like to talk with her directly, she can be reached via email at ASAIZ at CapitalBankMD.com. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we'll keep focusing on the latest trends of your business at hand. Until then, this is Mary Schuster, and remember, what you do really matters.